Let's continue in worship by taking our Bible and turning to the 16th chapter of Romans. Someone said, I thought you finished last week. No, we came to the end, but we didn't finish, okay? We're going to finish uh, this great book today. And uh, as we come to the end of Romans chapter 16, and am I on? You all can hear? Just me? Okay, all right, great. I can't, but that's okay. All right, all right. Uh, as we come to the end, it, it's, we've kind of given you a break because we've covered this book in about two years, almost two years. Ronald, uh, excuse me, Donald Gray Barnhouse, a Presbyterian preacher in Philadelphia, preached through the book of Romans, preached 500 sermons over 13 years, okay? So you, we've let you off a little easy, okay? But we've come to what I would call my favorite part this morning. We come to the last few verses of the, the book of Romans. We've looked at chapter 16 where Paul is giving some closing comments to people that he has known or heard about in the church there at Rome. So he sends those greetings. And we looked at some of those names last week, uh, which were a little difficult for some of us to pronounce. But we got through that. I was, um, I was really sweating bullets last week. But this morning, we want to look at Paul's closing words, okay? Those closing words are found in chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. So I, I want to read these. Let's stand together as I read God's word over us this morning and as we uh, hear from God's word together. Paul says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested or revealed and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for being God. Thank you for the greatness of our God. Lord, we've been singing about how great you are this morning. And our hearts have been pointed in the direction of the eternal God, the great God who loves us, whose mercy is more. And Lord, that we can praise you and worship you. And now through your word, may our hearts again be focused on your greatness today. The greatness of our God is revealed to us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. What Paul does now in verse 25, he says, now to him, he's greeted all of these individuals, these men and women. As we said last week, 30% of the people Paul talked about were women, uh, influential women in the church, prominent women in the church. And so he's talked about these people and now he turns our attention to God, to the, he's talked about his spiritual family and now he turns our focus to the father of all believers. Paul has uh, done two things in the closing verses. First of all, he's given us the benediction. Okay, verse 24 is the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, do you know the difference between a benediction and a doxology? 
No, good to thank. I'm so glad you said that. All right. the, the, the benediction is when we, God speaks to his people, we pray a blessing over the people. That's a benediction. May God, the grace of God be with you. A doxology is when the people of God turn their hearts and affections toward God. Okay? It's from the people to God is a doxology. A benediction is from God's word or from God's prophet, God himself speaking blessings over his people. So there you have that. All right, a benediction is from God to us, usually spoken by the representative. Again, a doxology is from us to God. It's directed towards God from God's people. And so Paul says, now to him, verse 25, directing our focus toward God. Now to him who is able The greatness of God in the gospel is Paul's focus in these closing verses. The greatness of God God, as revealed to us in the gospel is what Paul wants us to be confronted with this morning, be aware of. The greatness of God in the gospel. Now, let me just ask you this morning. What do you think of when you hear the word gospel? I know we could get a lot of opinions, but many times... A lot of people would think a presentation. You know, I want to memorize a gospel presentation. I, I want to memorize the, memorize the, the Roman road, or I, I want to know uh, the gospel, the four laws, campus crusade. I want to know and have a good, effective gospel presentation. But you know, today, sadly, many people present the gospel in a way where man is the focus of the gospel. That man is the center, is big, and God the Savior is an afterthought. Man is central and God is secondary. Man is important and God is way down the list of our priorities and not only in the gospel, but in our life and in our culture. And as we think about the gospel, this impacts the way we share the gospel. A man-centered gospel or a God-centered gospel. Paul is drawing our attention in this doxology to the greatness of God in the gospel. The gospel reveals to us a great and powerful God. God's greatness is revealed through the gospel. What do we see this morning? Three things. Number one, the gospel reveals God's power for the believer. Verse 25, Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at that term, my gospel, or the gospel that Paul preached, Paul wants to make it clear that his gospel was not man's gospel. That Paul says, my gospel is a gospel that was revealed to me by the Lord. Now, you can read the the introduction of the first couple, not the introduction, but the first couple chapters of the book of Galatians, and you can understand this more. Paul says, I did not receive this gospel from any man. God revealed this gospel to me. So that's why Paul uses this term, my gospel, my gospel, a gospel that God revealed to Paul about Jesus Christ. The center of the gospel is Jesus As Paul says there, according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, uh, the center of the gospel is Jesus. It's a gospel that preaches Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, and coming again. That was the gospel that Paul preached 
to understand, again, my gospel, realize that this was not a man-given message. It was a message that Paul received from the Lord. It was a message declared so clearly here in the book of Romans that we will be, by the gospel of God, declared righteous by faith, by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. You could sum up the gospel that Paul preached with those three statements. Justified by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Paul's very serious about this gospel. And that's why he concludes with these words here that he wanted them to be established by God through the gospel. In Galatians chapter one, verse nine, Paul says, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. And the word actually means mutilated, okay? So we can gather, Paul's very serious about the gospel. He wants to make sure that he has communicated the gospel truthfully and powerfully and that we understand that, that we are to be established in the gospel. See, a lot of people think the gospel is just the beginning. But no, it's not. The gospel is our life. Paul is so concerned that the churches to whom he ministers understand truth and be established in this truth. The gospel reveals to us a God who not only saves us, but our gospel reveals also a God who sustains us by his power. To him who is able to, it's translated, is powerful to. See, the gospel is power. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 1.16? said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel reveals to us a savior who died for us. And that's not the end of the gospel. That's just the beginning. David Nasser, David has written a book, A Call to Die. And he's talking about the gospel and the preaching of the cross. And he said, when you read Paul's letters, how often do you see the cross described as the foundation for the broad scope of what he writes about? How often? All the time. The cross, the gospel, defines our identity as children of God. It explains how we can be disconnected from sin. It gives us hope that we may have a future, that we have a future resurrection. It gives us the example of how much to obey the Father. It shows us how much we are forgiven and how much we can forgive those who hurt us. And it measures the depth of God's great love for us. Where do we find that? At the cross. At the very, what we would say, the beginning of the gospel. But yet, David Nasser is so true when he says that we find our relationship to sin, our identity, our hope, our motivation for obedience. The fact that we're forgiven, our ability to forgive other people assures us of God's love. All of this at the message of the cross. And his point in that chapter is we never get past the cross. We never grow beyond the cross. We never grow beyond the gospel. Now we mature in faith. That's what it means to be established in the gospel. The gospel. You see, the gospel is not just your ticket to heaven. The gospel is the message of life in Christ. Paul told Titus, in Titus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God brings salvation to all men. But what else does it do? The grace of God instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly 
in this present age? Where do we learn to live sensibly, righteous and God, righteously and godly in the present age? From the grace of God. We're saved by the grace of God and we live by the grace of God to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. How do we do that? By the grace of God. The grace of God. We're saved by God's grace and we live by that grace. How do we do that? See, the gospel does not merely give us a, a new philosophy or a new way of thinking. The gospel gives us a new life, a new life. John, thank you for professing your faith in Christ this morning, declaring to the congregation that you found a new life in Christ. Church, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Finding a new life, but that is just the beginning. The gospel not only gives us new life, but it gives us a new way of living. And we're to be established in that gospel. It's a new life that brings us into a right relationship with the God of the universe. And we'll see more about that in just a minute, this mystery of how God can dwell in us. But the good news of the gospel is that God is able. May Look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you. God is able. He has the power to establish you in the gospel. What does it mean to establish? To give you the maximum amount of strength available. To give you stability. Through the gospel, God offers us strength and stability. Why do we need that? Why do we need strength and stability? Because the world's in a mess. The world's in a mess. Abby's going to be working with teenagers here. What did you say? 15,000 teenagers in Tuscaloosa. And most of them, if not, not all, but the majority, life is tough. Life is a mess. It reminds me of the little boy who went to the grocery store to buy some detergent. And he was looking for the biggest box of Tide he could find. He bought it, took it to the counter. And the man said, what are you going to do with this much detergent? He said, I'm going to wash my cat. The guy said, you can't wash your cat with detergent. Yeah, he was determined. So he went and came back in a few days. And the guy was really curious. How'd you come out washing your cat? He said, he died. He said, well, I told you not to wash your cat with detergent. He said, it wasn't detergent. It was a spin cycle, the guy. <laughs> that, the world is spinning. And you know what I'm talking about. Spinning out of control. The world, I'm sorry. I got to make sure you're awake, okay? All right. But seriously, we all need strength. We all need stability. Joseph Parker, the great English preacher, made this ob observation. He said, on every pew, in every church, on every Sunday. Now, we don't have pews, but we got rows of chairs. But on every pew, in every church, on every Sunday, there's at least one person who's facing a major crisis. I believe that to be true. We look around the church today, and people face crisis. We need power. We need strength. We need stability. The gospel makes it clear that we don't have this power within ourselves. Now to him who is able. That's what the gospel does. It points us to a powerful God. Where does this strength come? It comes from the Lord through the preaching of Christ. The power of God works in agreement with the word of God. The gospel. God will never act in a way that's contradictory to his word. So we need to be established in the gospel. We need to be established in the word of God. God establishes us, strengthens us in accordance with his gospel, in accordance with the preaching of Christ. 
See, the emphasis of the gospel is on divine power, not man's power. The gospel is God-centered. The gospel connects us with the God of the universe. That's our greatest need. It's not man-centered. Our strength to survive in a turbulent world comes from the truth of God's word, not from the tests of our own experiments or our own experiences. You know, that's the way a lot of people, Ravi Zacharias says that reason has replaced revelation. We live in a, a world today, a culture where everything, if it's reasonable, this is what I think. But God says, no, there's truth. You don't have to be tossed to and fro. You can find stability through being established in the gospel. Our strength to survive in a turbulent world comes from the truth of the gospel. Do you remember what Paul told us in Romans chapter eight? He says, we will be established that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That he who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So the gospel not only gives us the hope, it gives us the assurance that we will be established, that we will survive, that we will be strengthened, that we can make it through the difficulties of life. The truth of God's greatness grounds us in assurance. We will be established, not because we have the ability to establish ourselves, but because God has the power to establish us. This is not on the screen, but it's one of my favorite verses, Jude 24. It's in chapter one because there's only one chapter. Jude 24 says, now to him who is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, with, now to him who, able, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling why? Because he's a powerful God. He is a powerful God. The power of God in our lives lives, power of our, God in our lives comes to us through the presence of God in our lives. And that's part of the great mystery of the gospel that we'll look at in just a moment. But God brought the church into existence through the preaching of the gospel. God will sustain and grow the church through the preaching of the gospel. Now to him, Verse 25, who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The gospel reveals the power of God. The gospel reveals God's heart for all people. Paul says in verse 25, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. And then verse 26, and has now been made known to all the nations, all the nations. The gospel reveals to us the heart of God. It's a heart for all people. But Paul says it's been a mystery. Now, Teresa and I, back in the fall, we'd cut the cable. We'd pull the plug, however you want to decide it. We watch television now by Roku. That's a word I'd never heard until a couple years ago, Roku. Brother Herbert, do you know what a Roku is? No, sir, I didn't think so. Roku. We can get Netflix and all this stuff, but we, we like to watch good mysteries. We'll find a good mystery. Now, it's amazing because, you know, all the plots and turns, the mystery, when we hear about a mystery, we think of something going along. And Teresa is amazing. She really is. She can figure it out just like that. But, but, I, it, I, could never, but I found a show that I like 
Because in the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the show, they show you what happens and then they, the, the show reveals how it happened. So the detective the whole time is trying to figure out what I already know. <laughs> so I like that kind of show, okay? All right. So the mystery, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not something that was mysterious to God. It's something that God already knew. But it's been kept secret from ages past. But now, Paul says, it has been revealed. It has been made known to everybody. And there are two parts to this mystery that Paul talks about in the New Testament. One primarily here, verse 26, a part of this mystery, God has made the gospel, has been made known to all the nations, that God's heart is for all people. See, for 1,400 years, the Jews thought we're God's people, us four and no more. We're God's chosen people. And in an essence, to, you know, chapters nine through 11, of Romans, Paul talked about that. The Jews' special place in the eyes of God or the kingdom of God. But so the Jews thought they were God's chosen people. God told Abraham, I'm going to be your God. I'm not only going to be your God, but I'm going to be the God of your children. There's going to be a great nation that's going to come from you. And I'm going to be the God of the nation of Israel. They love that part. But God also said to Abraham, through you, all the nations shall be what? Shall be blessed. They didn't really emphasize the second part. They liked the first part. We're going to be God's chosen people. But now the gospel, the mystery of the gospel is revealed that not only are the Gentiles going to be saved, but the Gentiles are going to be fellow heirs, fellow members of the body. I mean, it's okay just to let them in heaven, but hey, keep them back there. But no, now the mystery of the gospel is, Kobe read it a while ago, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, Ephesians 3, 6, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ. That's a great mystery that now has been revealed, that the gospel is for everybody, all people, everywhere. That's a great mystery. Tim Keller says one of Paul's themes in the book of Romans is that anyone, anywhere can now believe in the gospel and obey God with both heart and hands. Christ is proclaimed so that all nations might believe and obey him. That's the mystery. That's, in simple, that's the mystery that Paul revealed through the gospel, rather that God revealed through the gospel, the union of Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ standing on equal ground. Let me tell you, church, don't ever forget that. That truth, that truth is extremely important and something we need to constantly keep in mind because that truth reminds us that the gospel is a gospel of grace, okay? A gospel of grace. We don't deserve to be in the kingdom. The Jews didn't deserve to be in the kingdom. God loved them because he loved them. He said, I chose you because I loved you. They didn't do anything to deserve that. And there's not a person in this world who deserves God's grace. But yet through the gospel, God extends his grace to all men everywhere. This truth is necessary for us to be truly established or grounded in the gospel. If we ever become exclusive in our thinking about the gospel, we've missed the point of the gospel. If we ever exclude, then we've missed the truth of the gospel. We've been included by the grace of God. 
The gospel reveals the heart of God. This is important again because this inclusion reminds us of grace, which is the foundation of the gospel. There's a second aspect to this mystery that Paul speaks of in Colossians chapter one. I didn't put this on the screen, but if you've got your Bible or uh, Bible device, Colossians 1, 25. Paul says, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me from your, for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. So that, that is the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. God knew it, but now it's been revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now see, the, the Old Testament was a beautiful shadow, a picture. There's a God who redeems his people. He did it. He took them out of the nation, out of Egypt. He redeemed them. And he led them into, eventually, after 40 years of wandering around, into the promised land. And he says, as he was even leading them out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to dwell among you. My presence will be with you. And I love Exodus 33 when Moses said, Lord, God got, you know, if God and Moses ever got mad on the same day, there wouldn't be a Jew alive today. You know, because sometimes God would beg with Moses. But anyway, so God said, I'm not going to go with y'all. I'll send an angel. Moses said this, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. I love that. I remember praying that coming from Sylacauga to Tuscaloosa. God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. God made a promise. He would redeem his people and then he would dwell among his people. So Paul now says the great mystery is not only have the Gentiles been redeemed, but here it is. Here's the great part. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where does God dwell? In my heart. In your heart. He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. Christ in you. You know, many people think when they think about the Christian life, it's a matter of being good. You know, you be good and don't do bad. But the secret of the Christian life is that Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, dwells in you. It's not about being good. It's about Christ in you. And being in Christ. That's the mystery. Paul says, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's why Paul says here, now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past. Gentiles are saved on equal ground. Christ dwells in you, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience and faith. The Old Testament scripture spoke of a God who would redeem. The gospel tells us he not only redeemed us, he lives in us. The gospel tells us that God became a man and personally redeemed his people from sin. By taking their sin upon himself, he died, was buried, resurrected, and is coming back. And all who would turn from their sin and repentance and place their faith in him, we'll be saved. And you know what God does? When we turn from our sin and repentance and faith and trust him, he gives us a down payment, a pledge of our inheritance. Paul said, that's the Holy Spirit. 
God is saying, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. You belong to me. How do I know? The Spirit of God lives in my heart. He dwells in my heart. He gives him a pledge or a down payment at the moment of salvation, which is his spirit. His spirit dwells in the heart of the believer, and that's a part of that mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gospel not only reveals the, God's power and God's heart, but quickly, the gospel reveals God's wisdom for the ages. To the only wise God, Paul says. Paul closes the book reminding us of God's power, which we saw in chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God, the salvation. But do you remember what, God, what Paul said about God's wisdom in chapter 11, verse 33? Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable his ways. Now Paul says that wisdom is being revealed. Paul tells us here that the gospel that he proclaimed reveals the wisdom of God, which was a plan of redemption that God had been working on from eternity past. The prophets of the Old Testament wrote about this. That's what Paul says there. Now manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets. You know what Peter said? Peter says that the prophets wrote about things, many things which were hard for them to understand. In other words, as the Holy Spirit led the prophets, when, when, when uh, Isaiah was writing about a suffering servant, Isaiah 53, we can look, hey, that's Jesus. Isaiah didn't know that. Jeremiah writing about a new heart in Jeremiah 31. How is that possible? Through Jesus. We can see that now. Now the truth has been revealed. The prophets wrote about it. The Old Testament, as I said, was a picture, a shadow pointing us toward the gospel the gospel. Those truths could not be understood apart from Jesus. But now this message, the wisdom is being made known. Kobe read a while ago to the world through the church. Let me just remind you, Ephesians 3, 8. To me, Paul says the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, through the church, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he had, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. An eternal purpose from the very beginning, from the very beginning. God's wisdom now, this eternal plan, is being made known to the world through the church, through us. You don't belong to the church. You are the church. We are the church. How did we do that? Through the preaching of the gospel. This gospel, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And the world receives it that way, don't they? Many times, foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. That's the power of the gospel. The truth about God's power, the truth about God's heart, God's wisdom are revealed to us through the gospel. And it's so important for us to be established in the gospel. Now, let me ask, just tell you, we will never, 
Will we ever fully understand God's power? No. Will we ever fully understand God's heart? No. Will we ever fully understand God's wisdom? No. But God has revealed, what we do understand is revealed to us through the scripture and it's important for us to feast upon the word of God. But when we do trust in his power, we can know that he will see us through any difficulty in life. The power of God. Trusting in his wisdom assures us that he has the answer for all the confusing, all the spin cycle events in our life. God will give us stability because he has all wisdom. How can we be so confident? Because we know God's heart. God's heart is for all people. How does God reveal his power, his heart, and his wisdom? Through Jesus Christ. Paul says, to him be the glory forever. So what's our response? To love one another. Romans 13, 8, Paul says, Oh, no man anything but love. All through the gospel or the epistle of Romans, we are connected as family. We love one another. Our response is to love. Our response is to praise. Praise God. That's what Paul does here. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be glory forevermore. To praise God. Praising God for what he's already done for us and what he's going to do for us. He alone is worthy of our praise. Our response is confidence. He is able. He is able to establish you. If our confidence is based in our own power or abilities, we're going to be sadly disappointed. But our trust is in the Lord. Our confidence is in him. And finally, our purpose. We see the ultimate purpose for all of us. Isn't that what we really want in life? You know, I've said many times when I'm sitting on the front porch at the nursing home and Teresa's wiping the slob out of the corner of my mouth, I want to think, did my life count? Did I really make a difference? See, the gospel gives all of us a purpose, a purpose. To know that our life has meaning and purpose. Don't we all long for something to invest our lives in and something grand to live for? The purpose, the gospel points us to that great purpose. It is the glory of God. The glory of God. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. The whole goal of life is to glorify God, to live for his glory. To him be the glory forever. Do you know him today? Through the gospel, have you recognized that you are a sinner separated from God's presence, his love, his grace? Through Jesus Christ, you can have a relationship with the God of the universe by confessing your sin, believing that Christ died for your sin, trusting in the one who paid the price for your penalty, the penalty for your sin, who not only was buried, but he was resurrected, rose from the grave and will return again. The power of the gospel. It's a power to change lives, to give us hope in the midst of difficulty. The invitation is for you today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for a gospel that gives us a salvation that changes our life.